to another episode of TSBUF, the podcast. This is Evan, the third host. Um, so in this episode, we finish up the summer interview sessions. I know some of you might be like, oh no, you're finishing up the summer interview session. What are we going to do? And uh, that's not the case. Well, it's the case, but here's the thing. We're finishing up the summer interview sessions. Um, we're going to do, also have a fall interview session, winter, spring, and all that shit. So we're closing out the summer interview sessions with more to come in the fall with a writer who's in my top three favorite writers of all time. I'm sure he's at least in uh, Brian's top four. Um, we're talking about Scott Lobdell, Lobdell Lobdell. We actually have a pretty interesting uh, and funny conversation about whether people pronounce or mispronounce words of comic book creators. Um, so it's Chris Bacalo uh, or Bacello. I forgot what we said in, in the interview. And it's Joe Matt Urera. I've always forget the U in his name, and I'm probably going to fuck up his name going forward as well. But anyway, Scott Lobdell is a comic book writer who wrote, um, in my opinion, the definitive on X-Men, or Uncanny X-Men and X-Men. Uh, he created Generation X with uh, Chris Bacello, Bacalo, Bacello. Um, and he's done a, a myriad of work. He, he's also the screenwriter of the uh, great and high grocery movie Happy Death Day, which we also talk about in the course of our interview. So I'm not going to just talk your ear off and go back and forth with you on this. Um, this is the last entry in our summer interview sessions and my personal favorite. We talked to Scott Lobdell about a lot of cool and exciting things. Uh, next week, we're going to bring you a, another episode. It's going to be a, a backdoor pilot to um, other things we have going on with the network coming come pretty soon. And on that show, we'll finally make the announcement of the big changes that are going to happen on the network. Um, so as always, um, we might have spoilers of books you may have read and may not have read and storylines and things like that. A lot of work, a lot of talk is going to be made about um, Scott Lobdell's work. Um, and we do, we do use profanity in this episode. So you, if you are half in aversion to uh, profanity, don't listen. Well, play it. But put it on mute so we get the, the listens and all that shit. Um, until then, I guess until we see you next time, not until then, technically. But enjoy the following episode. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. You've got exactly 10 minutes to decide if you really want to know. You have filled this city. Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've done. Kneel before the True stories based on fiction.
start with uh, something that uh, just came out, Red Hood and Outlaws 25. So, what was it like uh, writing the combination? I mean, the culmination of of like a 25 issue arc. It was really fun. It was you know like I am generally uh, I generally received some criticism over the years because uh, I have made it very clear that I like to. Uh, kind of find stories. I don't necessarily uh, structure them. I'm not like one of the architects of Marvel. I'm not like, you know, Fabian used to give me grief because he would know what he was doing for two and a half years into his X-Men run. And I was like, well, I don't know. I want to see what happens next issue and, you know, see where that goes and see what the characters do and see how, you know, the story is playing out and stuff. So I don't really plan very far and like for example the uh red hood um the the storyline with bizarro and red hood i got permission at the time to do that thing where he gets smarter and the editor at the time was said you know scott nobody believes he's going to stay smart so there's no point in dragging it out so let's just you know you can do it in three issues but then that's it i'm like uh, all right. I mean, three issues better than no issues. So <laughs> then the editor left because he got reassigned to something else. And a new editor came on. And I said, you know, look, I started this first issue and I really like the way uh, Bizarro is coming across. Can I um, examine it and just see where the story goes? And he's like, well, you know, I don't see why we can't. So if you want to just – so that became – a whole arc in and of itself for a whole year. Right. And it impacted Artemis, it impacted Jason, it impacted Bizarre. So, you know, in a way it feels like it was, you know, and by, by the end, like capping it with Mog in the last uh, scene and juxtaposing that with, you know, Mog appearance in issue two makes it feel like it's of a whole piece. But and it probably, you know, hopefully it can be read as if somebody sits down with, you know, the trades and reads it as like one big 25 page story or 25 issue story. But it is. Uh, but it was kind of like a, a series of happy accidents that brought me to uh, telling this giant story about all of them. So, you know, so it's but uh, but it was fun. It's, uh, you know, I like um, I'll, I'll tell you when issue. I knew around issue 20 that I wanted issue 25 to be uh, Jason shooting the penguin and the uh, ship about to fall out of the sky. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, well, now that I know that, I'll kind of, you know, lead up to it and set up the thing with Jason and his father and blah, blah. And then I got to issue 24 and I'm like, Huh? How how do I make this bleed into issue twenty five? And then one day I was like, you know what? Screw it! I'm just gonna take everything I was gonna do in twenty five and cram it into twenty four. <laughs> and you know, and I said, why not? Like, let the readers be like, well, I, I you know, because you get so conditioned to waiting till twenty five for anything major to happen. So then I did that, and I turned it into the other. I said, listen. Uh, this is probably going to surprise you, but this is what I wrote. And he came back and he was laughing. He goes, I'm like, what the hell is going on? It's like everything happening in 24. 
And he said, what do you got for 25? I go, you know, I don't know yet, but, you know. And so that really made me force a lot of moving pieces into 25 that I really like because I kind of feel that, you know, when I was a kid, issue issue 25, issue 50, issue 75, issue 100, they were always like really big things that were happening that you could really look towards to be like, okay, issue 25 is coming up. It's a double side size issue. What's going to happen? And I think we've really, really, really lost a lot of that, probably because a lot of books don't even make it to 25 anymore. But just even like, you know, the Batmans and the Superman, it's like, you know, they just don't seem to uh, celebrate that as a marker. And it's funny because I just read a, a review the other day and somebody was like, well, you know, 25 was interesting. A lot of things happened, but it said, you know, a special anniversary issue. But I'm like, what's it an anniversary of? Is it like 25 years since uh, Red Hood was da da da? And I'm like thinking, wow, we really, I mean, we, you know, have not trained this new generation of readers at all to expect, you know, big things with their anniversary issues. Like literally the reviewer was like, oh, I don't know what's going on. What are they talking about? <laughs> So, um, to that point, did you have to kind of fight with, with um, the editorial to make it a, a giant size issue? No, they, um, uh, marketing told me that it was going to be double sized nice. and they said, do you want to fight it? And I said, oh, absolutely not. So I thought it did it justice. Um, I mean, like I, <clears throat> Evan was saying earlier, you know, it, it did feel like kind of like the cap of, uh a larger overarching story that you've been doing since issue one with this iteration of Red Hood and the Outlaws, which to me it's been my favorite since uh, the New 52 started with the Red Hood and the Outlaws. This one has been my favorite iteration that you've done, um, especially when you introduced the Dark Trinity with it. Mm -hmm. um, one question I do have, and I don't know if you necessarily might know the answer, but when choosing um, Bizarro as part of that, so it seems like there's distinctively a couple different versions of Bizarro now. Uh, you have the one that kind of Luther uh, created, but then I know in, I think it was Tomasi's run of Superman, they had like where they went to the Bizarro plan again. Is there, is it just me or am I missing something or was it actually two different versions now? Uh, you know, there may be, but I don't, I don't uh, pay any attention to it. So I don't, uh, you know, but <laughs> yeah. You know, if somebody else wants to use a different version of Red Hood, that's totally up to them. So um, there's a plot line coming out with Jeff that I can't really speak of because it's not my plot line. But if it uh, works out the way it's supposed to, we'll get uh, farther into the origins of uh, Red Bizarro, I guess we'll call him. And... Uh, you know, it might um, answer some questions as far as separating him from other things. But as far as I'm concerned, but, you know, like if, if Ben just wants to bring in, you know, uh, you know, wants to do a six issue arc where Superman goes to Bizarro World, that's, you know, totally fine with me. It doesn't, uh, you know, I didn't I, I didn't sure. read the uh, uh, Tomasi arc, but it didn't seem like I had to. So, yeah. And to me, I just it almost just seemed like kind of like another al the alternate Earth now that 
DC has kind of brought back the multiverse, so and that's very possible. Yeah. <clears throat> now I mean, you know, it's, it's funny because they, you know, it, it's so weird because comic books have all these advantages over other storytelling uh, mediums. Yeah, and and then they just refuse to use them. You know, <laughs> right, like. Right. You know, like a, a movie with a, a voiceover, like a um, Blade Runner or something like, you know, okay, they do a little Blade Running and stuff, but, you know, <laughs> there's something about, uh, there's a difference between first-person omnipresent captioning and thought balloons. And for some reason, thought balloons have become kind of poisonous. I think it's changing again, but like, when I went on uh, Superman, I felt like, you know what? I'm just so tired of every book at DC being first-person uh, first person narration. And I said, you know, since it's Superman, I'm going to use uh, thought balloons instead. And the grief, this, like, tsunami of grief that was directed at me because of, oh, we're everything us thought balloons and sound effects and blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, you know what? We have all these tools. We should use thought balloons. We should use flashbacks. We should use flash forwards. We should use alternate worlds. It's like, you know, right. why a company, you know, why a company would sit there and be like, oh, we're not going to use these alternate reality. What? You know, like you have them. They're, they're in your arsenal. You know, you don't have to use them if you don't want, but to just, you know, drop the hammer on certain things just seems, you know, and I, I do think that the company, at least, you know, DC seems to be at a point now where they're going, okay, we might as well take the most advantage of what we got going on, you know? But, oh, absolutely. So now you mentioned, uh, uh, real briefly, something about upcoming, uh, Bizarro storyline that you might have. So does that mean Artemis and Bizarro are going to be sticking around in in Red Hood and Outlaws with the new direction that's going to be happening? Um, I, I mean, I can give you two answers. The one answer is uh, this arc, Red Hood Outlaw, mm-hmm. is arc that is ideally coming to a conclusion at uh, issue thirty-one. In a in a um, hugely uh, life turning event that will leave everyone aghast. Yes. Really? Yeah. But uh, my goal is that he ultimately does find them using the chamber of all from the second issue of the first volume. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it all comes together. Yeah. And uh, and the idea is ultimately he would find them in a world where uh, they are oh, sort of this – they've sort of become this Adam and Eve of superhero-ness where uh, they are essentially the only two superheroes on, in this world on this world. So um, that's sort of what I wanted to – that's sort of one plan about where that's going to land. What, I'm, what I really want to do is I 
really want to spin off Outlaws into its own book and make Outlaws interesting enough using Artemis and Bizarro at the center to be able to hold its own book while Red Hood has his book. And then Red Hood can certainly guest star in the Outlaws. But essentially you'd have uh, one book called Red Hood and one book called The Outlaws. But I've discovered over the years that very, very few people listen to me anymore. So, <laughs> you know, there was a time when I, you know, when I was writing the X-Men that, you know, if I had an idea, people would be like, you you know what you're doing, we'll do that. And, you know, but now it's like, well, 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 Yes, well, 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 well. Fortune said, not a, a printed interview, otherwise it might be difficult. But, um, but yeah, no, that's what I would like to do. But uh, to, like, we we see what happens to uh, Artemis and Bizarro, and in the annual, that'll be out in two weeks. Okay. okay. So we do touch base with them so people know they're not dead and uh, get a, a vague sense of where they are. And uh, that'll be fun. But. Now, is Arsenal going to be coming back into the book now, or is that just kind of? I know it said uh, leading into the annual that you were just mentioning in a couple. That's out in a couple weeks, um, but I wasn't sure if that was going to kind of cross over into issue twenty six as well. He does have a huge. Uh, I mean, the, the the annual is very much like you know the boys are back. Um, having said that. Uh, because of their relationship, it's enough to get Roy um, back to getting back on his feet again, because I think that while he was off in the Titans, he uh, had a few episodes. And so um, I, I can tell you one thing that I don't know if anybody knows it yet, because I don't know if the solicits are out, but in issue 29... Uh, Batwoman guest stars mm. and but from 26 to 29 I really want to focus on Jason by himself and what we discuss, what we realize in the first uh, issue in 26 where we see him in a, a fight scene with these people who have tried to kill an FBI agent is he like I, I mean it's 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 honestly the most brutal fight scene I've ever seen in a, a mainstream comic book. And then he has then he has another one uh like like eight pages later. Wow. And what we realized is that Jason without an anchor is a really dangerous thing, you know, which we haven't seen in a really long time. Like He's not going to be cutting off heads and sticking them into duffel bags, but he's definitely, you know. More unhinged than what we've yeah. seen. Yeah, and it's funny because when I, when I write the script, I write it like uh, this one guy has a flare and he's in the middle of the highway and he has a flare and he's like, you know, come out right now and blah, blah, blah. And Red Hood comes out and he's like, um, 
Okay, I'm going to, uh, just so you know, I'm going to take this flare and I'm going to shove it up your ass. <laughs> and I'm going to beat the shit out of all your guys. And the guy's like, yeah. And he turns to this guy he's just like, let's kill this motherfucker. And he beats them all up. And then finally the guy's lying on the ground and Red Hood goes up with the uh, uh, flare. Uh-oh. goes, if you remember, I made you a promise. <laughs> and then you see the guy, you know, in the back. But the thing is, is that, like, he's very Clint Eastwood. He's very, like, does not say almost, you know, he's not going to be saying anything. As of right this moment, there's not going to be any Red Hood first-person narration, and there's no thought balloons. Like, we're really going to struggle to find out what Jason is thinking. Interest. Interest. Yeah, and so it's a little, you know, and it's funny because I, you know, I, I get it. I've been around for a while, so, you know, there's going to always be these contingent of, you know, idiot pontificators are like, Lobdell's a hack and he's phoning it in and blah, blah, blah. But really, like, I really think about things like, okay, let's figure out a way to really drive home the point that this isn't Jason. Not just the fighting, but, you know, the fact that he's very limited in his talking. And, you know, let's not have any uh, dialogue. Like, you saw it with Lex in... uh, when they had Lex appear in uh, a few issues. Right, is, yeah, I remember. Yeah, there's never any thoughts with Lex. There's never any get. There's nobody like, you know, Lex's thoughts are Lex's alone to have, you know. And so even when you traditionally do a story where you'd be like, you cut away and you're like, this is Lex Luthor and he's in charge of Lex Corp and he believes all aliens or like or whatever. All that's gone. Like you just see Lex and sitting in the chair, and he's like, mm-hmm, "Yeah, nope, okay." And then you're left with you figuring out what he's thinking, and that's what this arc is. And it might change if I find that by the end of the arc, I really need to uh, drive home what Jason is thinking. If I can't convey it, and Peter's Peter Pete Woods is doing an excellent job. Uh, you know, making this feel like it's a whole uh, new direction for the character. I would say leave leave the balloons out, like, in a caption, because it sounds like it's going to be a lot more, um, it seems like it's moodier that way, and it sets the right tone. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, like, years ago I did uh, Wildcats, and at the time... I was one of like, I don't know, four people that were like going to do it without sound effects, without captions, without plot balloons. And I did that and it was very successful. I did it with um, Travis Gray. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome. And, you know, then every once in a while I read somebody like, oh, Lobdell's so ancient. He's using thought balloons. He doesn't understand comic. I'm thinking, dude, I was doing non thought balloon non-narration, non-sound effect, you know, comic books, probably when you were still, uh, you know. Sucking your mama's teeth. Yeah, or, <laughs> you know, trying to figure out how to, uh, he's probably still sucking mama's teeth, so I wouldn't go there, but. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that is, um, 
So it's just funny, like I say, you know, I mean, you know, people, uh, um, you know, readers, not readers, um, I, I don't know, it's very interesting to me because, you know, message boards and blah, 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 like when I was younger, uh, if you went to a comic book store and, you know, uh, John Byrne had taken over Man of Steel and you go, oh, you know, that's interesting with Man of Steel, um, that means there's no Legion of Superheroes because there was never Superboy. It's like, okay, well, that's kind of, well, that's kind of cool. Or, oh, right. I like Legion of Superheroes. Well, you know, you can always read the back issues or that, like, but we'd sit around the store and we'd just be like, oh, well, that's, that's kind of cool. I didn't, you know, that they let him do that and da, da, da. But I would never in a million years be like, you know, I hope John Byrne gets cancer and dies, you know, <laughs> like John Byrne is just a big fat pig. Like, you know, and you're like, oh, what? Like, you know, I don't know. Nobody would talk like that. And yet, Message boards are just day in and day out, like, you know, Lobdell is cancer after what he did to the Titans, you know, da, da, da. and it's like, I want to go, look, you know what, if you don't like this version of Titans, don't worry, it's like a train, you know, there's going to be another yeah. one along, you some, know. Some point yeah. in time, someone's going to redo it, or you can go back and read what what was your Titans. Yeah, and you'll, you know, and, you know, for everybody that, like, you know, gets upset about uh, Hal Jordan and Kyle Rayner and who's the real Greenland. You know, well, Alan Scott was the real Greenland. <laughs> you break it, you you break it so, it's funny but, you say that because we just talked to uh, Ron Mars last week. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he's the same thing. Or... <laughs> See, but uh, I think that... Did he say the same thing? Or... Um, um, yeah, everyone has their own Green Lantern that they... Uh, follow with that they grew up with so yeah and like even even x-men like you know there's been so many iterations of the x-men and my favorite will always be uh Yours. mine you said yeah. <laughs> no no but that's the funny part is my my favorite will always be the uh uh x-men from 96 to 105 or something. Okay. You know, the Dave Cockrum, you know, introduction of those characters and Banshee and da da da. Now, I would never, ever want to write those characters in, the, in that group. But, like, if somebody said to me today, hey, Scott, you can uh, do the X Men moving forward with any team you want, you would think that, you know, oh, you go with your favorite, which is you know, those characters, but I would not, I would, you know, look at the, uh, playing field and figure out who to use and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, but it, because the X-Men were always, always, always about change. And even when I was doing it, there were several iterations, but, right. you know, to me, I think that, you know, I, I would say this to Chris if we were sitting down, so I don't think I'm being rude, but, you know, to me, the weakest, uh, and, the point in the book where I couldn't stand the X-Men was the whole Australia X-Men. Really? I just thought it was terrible. It's like, you know, Rogue, uh, not Rogue, uh, Longshot, who's not even a mutant, and then, you know, <laughs> Butterfly Eye, Psylocke, <laughs> Havoc, and, you know. But I, I, but I can tell you that if you go to a X-Men panel 
and there's, you know, 2,000 people in the audience, and you said, hey, how many people, uh, Australia was the best, you know, you'd see a large number of people raising their hands. It's like everybody has their own favorite time, you know, or favorite grouping of the X-Men, usually about what time they start reading it. And so, you know, so I understand that. And so, and, you know, people don't want to hear, but I'm sure they're, I'm, I'm sure I know because I've talked to people that their favorite version of the Titans was when they picked it up with the new 52, because up until then, anytime they got on, they didn't know, you know, Tim and Bard and their relationship. And, and instead they were able to see a book with the Titans all coming together, all finding out about each other, learning you know, who they are as people and blah, blah, for the first time in what, 30, 30, 40 years. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I get why people didn't like it, but I also understand why people did. So, I mean, but we live in an age of toxic fandom and it's kind of bridging off what you're talking about with the fans is talking shit for no reason. And, um, your work on the X-Men to me, and if you count the numbers, uh, your run on the X-Titles was the most popular one sales-wise besides Claremont. But people now act like it wasn't as good as it was and they weren't buying it. You had the best artists, you had the best storylines, Ace of Apocalypse, The Fatalist Covenant, um, Elysian Quest, hit after hit after hit after hit. But mm -hmm. now people act act as though because of the boom like they associate the uh, the boom bus era with like the 90s when you didn't do any of the bad tropes of the 90s you had some of the best storytelling uh, and, and the best storylines of that era because I, I remember um did you ever read uh marvel comics the untold story uh no i don't think so it's by sean Lowe, i believe it's here in the studio it's a good book it gives a i love him well we'll, we'll read his book <laughs> You said Shia LeBeau? No, 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 no. Sean Lowe. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. He's okay. <laughs> right. Because uh, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty good read, but there's one passage, passage in there where they kinda, he kind of implies that you got the job on X-Men because uh, you were in the office, not, not implying that you worked your, you worked your ass off to get there writing um, with stories in Marvel Comics Presents, Excalibur. But he made it seem like um, Claremont... And Jim Lee left and he was like, oh, uh, who's in the hallways? Scott Lowe, the right to X-Men. And it's not, that's not going to happen. But and I well, think that that feeds into the toxic fandom and it is feeding like the uh, the uh, comic Twitter uh, parasites. And it's bullshit. Yeah, well, I mean, the truth is that, you know, like, there's a, there's a saying when opportunity knocks, you know, like, everybody in the world waits for their opportunity, but some people just wait for their opportunity to show up, but they don't. They're not ready for it when it does. Right. So, you know, like it took me six years of rejection letters. Exactly. Right. Then about three years of writing and, you know, and it's funny because the only conversation, like I read all the time that the only reason I'm working is because Bob Harris and I were best friends in high school. And it's like, what makes me laugh is that, the only conversation I had ever had with Bob Harris was we both were in the bathroom at Marvel and he had said, I, I had started this beast series from Marvel comics presents. Right. Yes. Yep. And some of the stuff that I got approved, he said, no, I don't want that to be uh, done there. 
So I didn't go to, I mean, I wasn't in the, in the bathroom to confront him. It was just, you know, we both got out, we were both washing our hands and I said, Hey, you know, I don't really think that that was fair that you, you know, uh, am truncating my story in the middle of a story. It's not fair. You already proved it. And he said, well, I'm sorry. That's what I've decided. And you know, you don't get to the, you know, you're not the editor, so you don't decide what Boa. And I said, fine. And you know, he went his way and I went my way. And I was like, God, what a jerk. <laughs> then, you know, maybe, uh, six months later, I happened to be in Terry, in Terry Kavanaugh's office. And Bob walks in and he goes, Scott, walk with me. I'm like, uh, okay. So I walk in and I walk into his office and he has 22 pages of faxes. And the faxes are like maybe five finished pages and the rest are like circles and squares <laughs> indicating where Wolverine is standing and where Rogue is standing. And he says, uh, uh, what do you say? He said, 20, 22 pages in 24 hours. Can you do it? Mm. And I mm. said, sure. Cause in my head, I'm thinking, okay, well, if I do it and it's terrible, people will go, well, you know, at least Scott, you know, was there and he got it out the door. You know, you got to give him credit, even though it's terrible. And if it was good, people would be like, holy shit, look what he did in 24 hours. And so as it was, uh, people loved it. People in the office loved it. Bob loved it. And then I, I did that for six more months because the way the schedule was is, you know, and what I found out earlier is that Sean Byrne was supposed to do that, but he put his foot down and he said, listen, I'm not going to be writing scripts overnight. I need two weeks with every script that comes uh, with all the artwork that comes in or I won't do it. And they were like, well, you know, we're selling these books at a million dollars a pop right now. We don't have that option. We have to hit it or uh, it'll screw up the um, what's it called? The quarterly earnings and that would have been terrible. And so uh, what also happened that day, which is kind of a fun story, which I actually think is a funner story than the one that the guy writes in the book, because what happened was is that when – Byrne essentially quit. He didn't necessarily quit. He put his foot down. And, you know, sometimes when you get your when you put your foot down, sometimes you get what you want. And sometimes somebody with a bigger foot steps on your foot. And then, you know, yeah, that's life. <laughs> and so what happened was he put his foot down and Bob was in a rut. Not in a rut. He was in a fix because he had to get the book out and he went to you know, Ralph Macchio and Howard Mackey and all the people that, you know, Tom DeFalco, all the people that would normally be called on to write the book, you know, and said, hey, um, I need you to write this book for me. And they're like, look, I'm not going to ruin the X-Men. I'm not going to be the guy that follows 17 years of Chris Claremont. And then suddenly I ruin the X-Men. No, thank you. And so they went to, you know, he went to Fabian. He said, Fabian, listen, you really need to do this. And Fabian was already scheduled to take over the book in uh, six issues in. He was supposed to take over uh, after John, I guess. Okay. And Fabian was like, look, I'm not going to, you know, come in and, and do a crappy job. And then people are going to say, like, why are they giving Fabian the book? Because, you know, he wrote this overnight and it's crap. And 
I walked by the office and Fabian was like, Fabian told me this story just this weekend. He said he pointed to, uh, he, he looked at Bob and he pointed to me walking by the office and Bob's like, no. And Fabian's like, yes, you know, like, you know, you know, at the very least it's going to be solid and he's going to turn it in. So, and Bob's like, <sighs> so Bob left the office and came to where I was in the office and said, walk with me. But essentially the big, the big untold story of it is that the only reason I, the really, truly the only reason I got the job was because nobody wanted it. And the <laughs> idea was that, well, let Scott do it and then he'll ruin it. And then I can come in and save it. And as it was, I took it and had it for seven years. So, you know, so his story is not completely wrong. It was, I mean, I mean, if I was not in the office that day, would Bob have called me at home? Probably, you know, but so, I mean, it's not that far off, but yeah, it was certainly, you know, I mean, it was, uh, there is something to be said for being in the right place at the right time, but also having the skill set. Like if, you know, if Bob had just said, Hey, you know, I need this. And I wrote a script and people were like, Oh boy. Wow. We miss Claremont, you know, exactly. that disaster. But as it was, you know, they asked and I did it and, you know, so, yeah, but yeah, I have to say it as if it's a slam and it's like, that's fine. You know? Yeah. Because I mean, but Scott, you make a very good point though. If you weren't good, you would have gotten fired. Mm-hmm. But you, you wanted, like you said, for seven years, and then you you expanded the franchise with uh, like Gen X, for example, that was a mm-hmm. top seller for years until you left. Uh, so yeah, so obviously you were doing something right because um, mm-hmm. the characters in Gen X are probably the the last, in my opinion, great characters that were ever created. And since you left them, besides maybe Monet and uh, Jubilee, no one has ever captured the same magic and like lightning in the bottle that that you and Chris did. Well, you know what's funny about that? First, thank you. But you know what's funny about that is that, you know, like when Chris and I were planning uh, Generation X, you know, there was this idea of like, okay, well, who's the muscle guy? Who's the big guy? You know, which who's the where's the Wolverine of the group? I'm like, we don't have a Wolverine of the group and we don't have a Colossus and we don't have a Nightcrawler and we don't have. (laughs) And, you know, when you looked at everything else that was out at the time. You know, there was Maul and there was Warblade and there was like, you know, like every book had to have, you know, their version of the X-Men, X-Men in the group, you know. And like with me, it's like, well, we need a big guy. Okay, well, I would really love to put in this like six foot Samoan in a a Hawaiian shirt. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's like, oh, he's a strong guy. No, he's not really particularly strong. He's got, you know some powers he can draw some power from the earth but no he's not you know he's not going to be our like oh i'm the big guy blah, blah, blah. i'm going to come running in and punching everybody and when we started it i looked at that group i said you know what i said to chris i go you know what we've done we've created the next template you know how like every book is up the same we've created the next template that's so cool and he's like oh that's awesome a brand new but trope. As, what's that a brand new trope yeah, but as it is, it was never ever followed or knocked off again. Like it was just, you know, it's always been, you know, as soon as somebody could, they went back to all oh, the new mutants and they're at the yeah. school and they have the green and black co- or yellow and black costume and it's like, oh my god, people, can we just see something different once in a while? You know, exactly. Like even with Teen Titans, you know, like 
with, you know, and again, I understand not everybody loved Teen Titans, but when we first started, you know, Bob and I always talk with Generation X, we talk about the silhouette of the team. And if you look at mm-hmm. team silhouettes, you know, they're often the same. And when you look at the Justice League of America, it's pretty much seven people standing in silhouette. You know, it's a woman and, and five guys or whatever it is. I know that's not seven. Um, <laughs> but with uh, Teen Titans, it was the same thing. It's like you get Flash and you get Tim and you get, uh, you know, Wonder Girl and you get Superman, uh, Superboy. And I forget who else they wanted to, you know, like somebody with a bone arrow and blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? I want to, you know. Like, that's why Skitter is there, and that's why Bunker's there, and that's why I used uh, the girl uh, Solstice is, you know, so that the group doesn't look like just, you know, six or seven people standing around, you know, posing and like, oh, I'm a superhero, and da, da, da. And with Red, with Generation X, I really thought, okay, we have created something different, and I can't wait for people to start knocking it off, and no one ever knocked it off. So. I mean, because there are some things that are so original, you can't really copy it. Um, and then, honestly, I think that Gene 13 was kind of trying to uh, have that same trope. Uh, which trope? The... I mean, like, having a... T- Gene 13, to me, wasn't really like your average teenage superheroes either. Um, they they kind of mix other uh, archetypes in their team. But I think it, it was pretty close. I preferred... A Gen X, so, but like how uh, Fairchild was the lead of, of that book, it, it, like instead of having like a male lead and um, had to fire a guy and all that. So it, 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 I will say that's probably and in, in equally as as original concept, but I think that, that Gen X was just, just uh, executed like a lot more effectively. Well, you know, it's always easier to when you have more characters, so you have different you know personalities that you know. Right. And plus, they also were disadvantaged because they were essentially on the run. Yeah, And when true. you do on the run stories, you're kind of stuck with, you know, you don't really have the, uh, you know, like in, in one of the first things that happened in Generation X was that uh, Scrabble game between Skin and Page. Yes. And it's like you can't do that if you're, you know, being the characters are on the run and stuff. So, so I did try to take advantage of that. But. Yeah, true. Um, So, staying on Gen X, was it always your plan, because you said earlier that that you typically don't plan plan that far ahead, was it always a part of your um, plan to have Mondo kind of have a hill turn? I wish I could answer that. Uh, I could, you know, I don't, I don't recall, to be honest. So I think that I uh, I think that something happened with uh, I think I recall something happening with Mondo. I don't think I probably figured out who Mondo was really until the uh, Generation X. uh, Until uh, Generation Next, you know, the Uh, age. Yes. 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 So I think I probably. uh, Yeah, I really don't recall. I just. I do recall the notion of like liking the idea that uh, that scene on the beach with Banshee where he 
has already seen Mondo die, or a version of Mondo die, and he walks by and he sees him, and he's like, you know, part of my responsibility is to train the new, this next generation of mutants, but isn't it also my responsibility to, if this kid is happy living his life on the beach, why is it up to me to, you know, pull him into this world of, uh, you know, where he actually already died, you know, like, or a version of him died, like, is it his place? One of the things that always that the one of the the true untold stories about Monet mm-hmm. was that Monet was always I don't know what happened after I left because I didn't read it but I I know they took the twins and they turned them into tenants or something yes. but yes but what happened what was originally supposed to be is that Monet was made up of the twins uh, and we saw the twins in Generation Next. And also the very first line of dialogue directed at uh, Monet in uh, the Phalanx Covenant was a huge clue as to who she is and how she was the twins. Um, but the idea is one was autistic and one was not. And by merging together, she became this. There were two nine-year-old girls who, when they merged together, became this uh, 18-year-old. Actually, you know, I believe it was eight two eight-year-olds and a 16-year-old because she was not that old, much older than Jubilee. And the idea was that's where she got all these amazing, you know, this like almost Wonder Woman type uh, series of abilities. And what I always wanted to toy around with was that upon revealing that, Emma and Sean would have this horrible decision to make because the first uh, first decision is, we can't risk the lives of an eight-year-old girl. Like that's, you know, like we've got to draw the line somewhere and taking an eight-year-old into battle is not something that we can do. And uh, Monet or Claudia would say to them, listen, you know, my sister essentially is trapped in this body and the way that I help her is by merging with her so we become Monet. So it's not your place to doom my sister to this kind of prison that she's in. Like, you know, and so they were going to be in this huge moral conundrum. You know, do they take an eight-year-old and try to make him an X-Men and risk their lives? Or do they say, no, you can't be in it, and then leave her to uh, either try to be superior on herself or say, no, we we don't think you should be uh, merging with your sister and trying to help her in that way. So, so I did always like to do things that would cause uh, characters a tremendous amount of conflict. Right. So I just think that early on, I think my idea was to have uh, Mondo be in a position where uh, what's where um, Banshee would look and be like, did I did I make the right choice? you know, with this kid. So. Um, to that point of, of Monet, um, what was your plan to get them separated? And was Penix always going to be the third, or oh, I guess the fourth sibling? Oh, no, Penance was not a, uh, Penance is, a, uh, the idea behind Penance was always that she was going to be a, uh, immigrant from, uh, or I'm sorry, a refugee from uh, 
Yugoslavia, but she was deaf. And so because she was deaf, she had no concept of language. And so when Emma would try to um, read her mind, there was nothing to read that Emma could understand because she didn't have any basis for language. And, you know, there's an earlier scene where um, Jubilee is trying every different uh, language she can to try to reach. uh, That was through four, I believe. Four or five, I want to say, yeah. Yeah, but these were all clues that were going to let us know that she was, uh, that she was deaf. And so she was really going to be like the first deaf uh, mutant. And she was also going to have to like trust the people around her to suddenly start communicating with them, blah, 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 blah. So, but no, she was never um, supposed to be a, uh... and then when I left, you know, what happens when you're on a book is you talk to an editor and you go, oh yeah, I'm going to do this thing with the twins and da, da, da. Or you write down something somewhere and then you leave and then the editor talks to the writer and says, well, this, so it becomes this game of telephone. So if you look, and I'm sure I'm, I'm very, I'm sure I'm guilty of it myself. Like I was at a panel once and, uh, uh, well, I'll finish the one thought is that, you know, it's like I say, it's just a game of telephone. Like I don't blame Larry for what he did by, you know, taking the twins and making them penance and the third sister. And I mean, I, I don't, I, I can't, I, I didn't even attempt to follow it, but that's just what happens when you come on a book or when you leave a book. And, I had a scene where uh, I had a scene where um, Yukio and uh, Storm almost kissed, mm. and you know, to me, it had been established that Yukio was bi, and she thought Storm was hot, and they were just about to kiss, and something happened, and then everybody's like, "Oh, I can't believe it! Storm would never do that!" And it's like, you know, like Storm lived in you know the serengeti like i don't think she has you know these rigid ideas about sexuality and you know blah 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 and you know if she didn't want to get kissed she'd be like well well that was not really what i wanted to do but (laughs) she wouldn't be you know i think she's a very loving open-hearted person so i think she'd be like well that was interesting but you know but i don't think she would be angry you know um no thanks yeah <laughs> then um i mean we've all been there right um <laughs> not but with then, dudes on my end but <laughs> what's that i said uh not with dudes on my end but <laughs> but so the um she uh oh but i was at a panel recently well recently about a year and a half ago with chris and somebody asked me about it and i said yeah i mean i just thought she'd be open and then chris goes well she would never do that meaning Yukio, and I said, oh, and he goes, but to your credit, you didn't know what I know, you know, what I planned, and uh, and it's true. It's like, you know, sometimes you're just got to go with what you have in front of you, and, you know, so. Like, to me, when I first got on the book, I felt there were way too many characters, and I also felt like, <laughs> you know, like they were always playing this notion of like, oh, Storm and Forge, Storm and Forge, Storm and Forge, Storm and Forge. I'm like, I'm sorry, but I've just read like the last three years and Storm and Forge have said two words to each other. Like, you know, so I was like, 
Yeah, so I was like, so let's get rid of Forge. And then everybody's like, oh, you're getting rid of Forge. It's her true love. And it's like, well, if it's her true love, then maybe they should talk once in a while. Or I don't know, like somebody should find some letters between them or something. But like, <laughs> but that's what happened. Like, you know, I, I was like, I made the argument that, hey, let's shake Storm up and move Forge on and da, da, da. And somebody was like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, so then we went with that. But, you know. I, you know, Chris can say, oh, my God, no, they're each other's loves all Life they want. Life, death, one and two. Yeah, which was how many years, how many years before that, you know? So. 80, and, you know, honestly, if I was going to take over the X-Men tomorrow, I think what would be really cool is instead, I mean, I love Professor X, but if I could only use one character to uh, not lead the X-Men like Cyclops, but to be in charge of the action like Professor X and, uh, uh, you know, Cable at one point and Banshee and Emma, I would totally use Forge. I mean, Forge is a perfect fit. I, yeah, I, yeah, I'll do the same thing. That makes so much sense. sense. Yeah. And he hasn't done it before, so that'd be cool. Well, yeah, well, kind of with X-Factor, he was like the, uh, the liaison between the team and the government, but like not like not the main roster, though. Yeah, and plus it's always like, I don't know what the hell the liaison does. It's like, it's always, you know. They liaison. Yeah. So like, <laughs> hey, you know what you're going to say to her? Yeah, well, I'll say it to her, and then I'll come back and I'll say what she said. Yeah. Oh, okay, well, then. Uh, I like that guy from... Uh, the other thing that I never understood is like, that? and I, I still don't, is like, when people are like, oh, Cyclops is the leader of the team. No, Storm is the leader of the team. No, this one is the leader. That one's the It's like... Why the hell do you need a leader? Like, I hang out with my friends. I never, ever am like, we must go to um, Starbucks. Yes, and you sit at that table, and you sit at the head of the table, and you sit over there, and you order first. It's like, <laughs> no, you know, you're just, you know, I mean, I get Captain America. He's a soldier. He might have a, a certain analytical point of view. But, you know, like, what happens? Like, Five X Men come and there's a, people in a burning building and they need. Uh, what do I do? Yeah, <laughs> well, I got to wait till see what Cyclops wants me to do first. You know. So, but so I always, I always issue uh, team ups. I mean, uh, team uh, team leaders, mm-hmm. and people are just like, "Oh, but who's the team leader?" I go, "There's no team." Yeah. Um. So from the sounds of it, though, you had more stories in line for at least. Gen X. So why did you leave after 25? Uh, I was, uh, I think I was doing both X books at the time. Yeah, you were. Yeah. And so I just felt it was, uh, just too much. So, you know, um, another small great. question. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Scott. No, it's great that these guys can, you know, do all these books. Like, you know, like Bendis seems to be able to do, I don't know, eight, nine books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And there was a time when I was doing, you know, six or seven books. But, uh, but you know, I, I do think it does uh, uh, cut into maybe the other work that you're doing. So, right. Um, yeah. Uncanny 346, I believe, uh, with Mero on the cover during Operations... Operation Zero Tolerance. There was a Spider-Man story. I heard a rumor that was like a backdoor pilot for you and, and Joe to take over 
Spider-Man. Is there any truth to that? No, there's zero truth to it. What there is, what is the truth is that Joe wanted to do Spider-Man in the worst way. He really wanted to leave and do Spider-Man. And mm-hmm. at the time, you know, editorial had enough control that they would say, no, you do this and you do that. And so I was like, that's crazy. Why shouldn't, I mean, Joe should be allowed to do whatever he wants to do because he's awesome. And so when I came to that issue, I was like, you know what? I'm going to let Joe do a Spider-Man issue in X-Men. But what I thought was fascinating is, is that, you know, for years we're always told how the world fears and hates the X-Men because they are different. And but we never actually see the rest of the world's opinion of the X-Men. We only see, you know, every once in a while people show up with torches, you know, or they throw rocks or something. But it's never like what does the rest of the uh, Marvel Universe that's not superheroes think of the X-Men. And that's when I hit on J. Jonah Jameson. And I thought, you know, it's funny because to me. Jonah seems very close-minded, but that close-mindedness is based uh, on his hatred of uh, Spider-Man in particular. It's not like he says, let's get rid of all superheroes or whatever, but like, so I thought, okay, you know, what would J. Jonah Jameson's Jameson's, uh, theory, uh, feelings about, you know, mutants, what would they be? And the idea that Bastion would come to him and say, listen, we need you to, you know, print this or not print that. And he'd be like, look, you know, I'm just about the truth. I don't, you know, it's not about what I feel. So, so it was like, to me, it was, it was an experiment in, uh, I mean, it was a gift to Joe to allow him to do an issue of Spider-Man. But it was also to me, the way I justified it was, it was the first issue of the X-Men where the X-Men didn't appear. And, but their presence was known because the whole issue was about how other people view the X-Men, which I thought was pretty fascinating. So, Right, yeah, yeah. sure. sure. Um, and I do I think made a one-page, uh, I think Gambit did have a one-page cameo. It was like, yeah, it was an interlude that I believe tied into when he met... Um, Spat and gravel, I believe. Uh-huh. Well, in fact, you know, I'll tell you another story, if I may. Um, of course. I uh, I loved, you know, I love when, uh, you know, the I love when any book, but even the X-Men, particularly the X-Men, at the time, I love it when, you know, you can, you know, send them off to the Savage Land or, you know, again, like we talked about, like taking advantage of the fact that it's a comic book. And so... I did this thing where um, I was going to send them off to space for six months with Rogue and Beast and storyline, Cannonball, yeah. Bishop. Yeah, and the idea was. There we go. Ready? Ready? There we go. Hey, how many times did you just try? Uh, just once. Oh, okay, because it didn't go off. I put the computer on my lap and I saw that you had called him like, huh? <laughs> yeah. And then, um, I, I don't know what the fuck happened actually. Cause, um, it's called people, electricity. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> everything was so long. The fans on the, the mic was so long, but no screen. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
But uh, we are back. And then I think when we, what we last heard was you talking about when the X-Men went to space and you had plans for everyone to come back different. Beast is going to have a beard. Uh, Bishop, Bishop is going to fuck the uh, space uh, lady. So go. Oh, that's right. Lalandra. I forgot. I mean, not Lalandra. The other uh, one. Deathbird. Deathbird. Yeah, that's right. Um, what happened was, uh, they just, month after month, they're like, oh, you know, people don't like the X-Men in space. And, you know, you got to get them out of space. You got to wrap up the story. You got to. So finally, I was like, all right. So I called up Joe and I said, what is happening right now? What page are you on? He's like, oh, I'm on page four. I said, what's happening? I said, uh, he's like, um, Gambit has his face in the puddle and you see the reflection of spat and gravel behind him or whatever it was. Right. Right. And I go, okay, well do me a favor on the next page, the, uh, danger room holographic sequence ends and they're back on earth. Okay. And he's like, <laughs> uh, okay. And so I just wrote it, And that was the end of the space storyline. I was like, you know, Wait, is that how it happened in the book? Because I thought uh, they landed on 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 Antarctica for like the trial of Gambit. That was uh, that was whatever. I mean, I my name is on issue three fifty, but I didn't have anything to do with it. What? Yeah, the trial of Gambit. I didn't. Uh, this is a hot it, take. Okay, yeah. If my name if my name wasn't on it, they would have had to uh, make it made it returnable. And so they kept my name on it, but I didn't really have anything to do with it. So wait, wait, is this a story that you're telling us on our podcast for the first time in the history of comics? Uh, I may have mentioned it on a panel once, but oh. yeah, this is the first time, in, you know. Okay, so so uh, Scott, you got to unpack that for us. Uh, so so what happened there? Um, they, uh, you know, I I was um, I didn't ever want to be like. Uh, Chris or Peter David no offense Peter David but I didn't want to be a writer who you know uh, gets wheeled away from the computer with their fingernails you know <laughs> dug into the keyboard and like no this is my book and da 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 like I never felt the X-Men was my book I felt that while I was writing the X-Men I was writing the X-Men just the way I feel that while I'm writing uh, Red Hood I'm writing Red Hood but I don't feel a proprietary stake in it. Um, so I, you know, may or may not have had enough followers at the time, but I was saying to Bob, I'm like, look, you know, I can, you know, we get along, you know, I make these bold choices, you support them and, you know, the X-Men's doing well. Why not, you know, let me do Fantastic Four. Why not do Daredevil? Like, you know, somebody else can come and write the book. And, you know, so that was a decision. Then I started here as reborn and I was doing, uh, first I did here as return, whatever it was. But my feeling at the time was like, look, I don't have to write the X-Men forever. It's not, you know, I don't, that's fine. So let me find a point where I was going to start to wrap it up. And then, uh, at the time I was making some ridiculously, ridiculous, obscene amount of, money based on a contract. There we go. And then they came back to me and said, okay, well, you know, when your contract's up, we're going to, uh, only pay you, uh, X, which was like about 10 times less than what I was making. Yowza. 
but still a little more than what everybody else is bringing. And I said, okay, well, just so you know, I have offers other places, so I'm not going to sign another contract. I mean, I'll stay on the books because I like the books, but I won't uh, stay on the um, – uh, but I'm not going to uh, re-sign up on a contract. So then they said, well, if you're going to not be on the contract anyway, then we're going to take uh, Fantastic Four away from you now so that um, you're not writing it for eight months. And then and it's like, oh, okay, that doesn't really make any sense. So, Oh, so that's why your run on Heroes Return Fantastic Four was only three issues. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, because I was going to ask you that. Wow, okay. Yeah, so that was just, I mean, there's there so many decisions, there's so much tension in the air at that point uh so it's like okay that's fine and i uh i'm not sure why i didn't do 350 per se why they took me off of it but i was ready to wrap up my run anyway so i was Mm -hmm. fine so but you know the other thing too like if you look at you know as soon as i left you know as soon as i left it was like oh we're gonna bring back colossus and nightcrawler and kitty pride but, oh my God! Please, the love of God, can't you? You know, can't, yeah. Keep the books moving forward. You know, like you know, Operation Zero Tolerance. You know, even like sending that particular group off into space. I mean, that was kind of a weird group to you know. It was. Doubt. And but that's the thing is, I was always about like pushing it forward. And the, the second I got off, it was like you know, we okay, the same old shit. Yeah, and it's like you know. Wait, but, so so who wrote who wrote three fifty then? Uh, whoever whoever other name was in there, I think it was. I, I know it's either Kelly or or Siegel. I'm not sure who it was. So. Yeah. All right. I'm going to Marvel yeah. Unlimited right now. I got to solve this mystery. Now, is that why the book was late? Because I remember it was late as fuck, and then like my, my comic book store stayed open late when he got it on like a, a that Wednesday night, and he said opens so that me and my brother could buy it. And we wow. waited for it for months. Wow, I, I don't remember it being late. I don't recall that, but I might but I was, be wrong, but I, I, I think it might have been, and that's probably why. I gotta find this out right now. I never knew this. I've never heard the story before, Scott. Ever? Yeah, no. I mean, I, I yeah, no. I um, yeah, I would be surprised if it was late. They didn't really have that many late books, but I mean, you know, certainly Image did, but I don't think Marvel Marvel is pretty stringent. But well, Scott, uh, I'll be honest with you. This is right. So this is right around the time where the late books at Marvel just started. Because uh, Joe Matt, my top three favorite artists of all time, I, at that time, he started having trouble keeping up with the book. Because I remember 336 was a little late. 350 was late. 349 was, uh, I think, Chris Bacalo. Now, is it Chris Bacalo or Chris Pacella? Pacella. And is it Joe Matarera or Joe Matarera? Uh, Joe Matarera. Uh, I, don't, I never... I don't, I've never heard anybody uh, anybody change the, uh, you know, like some people call me Scott. Well, some people call me Scott LaBelle, and they take out <laughs> take out the D completely, you know. So I heard a lot. Um, let me see, Joe Mad. I mean, I always call him Joe Mad. So Joe Mad Durer. I think it's Mad Durer. I think Mad it's the Durer. emphasis Durer. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Well, I don't see uh, that in. Um and Marvel Unlimited, so I don't know for right now, but I, I feel like in 345, the first issue that, that Maggot appeared in, that was also a little bit late. I will tell you a funny story, is that there's a, um, Fabian and I went to a wedding, a Cyclops and Phoenix wedding, 
reception in Washington. They had it at a mall and they had a signing and they had a Cyclops and Phoenix there. And, you know, I think Spider-Man uh, did the wedding ceremony. And <laughs> it's just a big promotional thing. And Cyclops comes up to me because he has to introduce Fabian and I. And so he comes up to me and says, listen, I'm really embarrassed. How do you say his last name? And the way you say Fabian's last name is Nisiesa. Nisiesa. Yeah, like he'll point his knee uh, and then he'll do letter C and then like speak to say and then whatever it is. So he's always like, you know, it's Nisiesa. It's, not, it's exactly how it's written. It's Nisiesa. And so the guy comes up to me and he goes, I'm really embarrassed. How do you say his name? I go, oh, it's knee cheese, like knee and cheese, <laughs> knee cheese. And he goes, oh, okay, thanks, thanks. So then 10 minutes go by, and Fabian comes running up, holding Cyclops by the arm, and he goes, uh, dude, why did you tell him my name was knee cheese? That's not how you pronounce it. You know it's not how you pronounce it. Nisiesa, Nisiesa. And I said, all right, all right, calm down. So there's, I don't know, like 500, 800 people there. And Cyclops goes up and he goes, you know, uh, we're going to introduce to you two, uh, two very special friends of mine. So the guys that actually write our adventures every uh, week or every month. And um, so, ladies and gentlemen, here are Scott, Lobdell, and... <laughs> Fabian, Nietzsche's <laughs> comes out. He's like, "It's not Nietzsche's. It's Nietzsche's. Oh my god!" But like the poor kid just panicked and he's like, "Trying to remember and trying to remember and finally went with Nietzsche's." Nietzsche's. Uh, <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, but a lot of comic guys have uh, weird last names. Uh, there's there, there's a myriad of names I can't pronounce. Yeah, Sinkiewicz. Uh, as a kid, yeah. I called him Sink, uh, whatever the fuck his name is. That's why I yeah. called him as a kid. Yeah, everybody was like, yeah. Sink, whatever the fuck his name is. <laughs> yeah. Um, Stan Eel. That's great. <laughs> you know, a lot of people mispronounce it. They call it, they call him Stan Lee, but it's actually Stan Eel. Now, to that point, uh, isn't it true that you did some stand-up back in like the 80s and 90s? I would hope so. <laughs> um, yes, I did. Uh, yes. So. I tried to find a, a video of it. On, on, I know, on... I wish. <laughs> I think I was just at that point of, uh, you know, just at that point when um, video cameras were, you know, like, you know, you had those big VHS cameras. and that, But, yeah, no, I can't find anything for my days either. It makes me sad. I'm sure someone will come up to me one day and be like, oh, look what I have. And I'll be like, awesome. <laughs> but no, if I had it, I would absolutely post it. So, Have you ever considered going back to that uh, field? Oh, you know, hold on one second. I found the uh, – I found that. I was just talking to somebody um, just yesterday about how I think I'm at a point now where I might consider – uh, coming back and uh, not coming back, but actually trying to do stand up again. So you should, man. 
Yeah, but the thing is, is that when you uh, are breaking in at the clubs again, you have to go on at one in the morning and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Where I am right now and the writing that I'm doing right now, I'm thinking, oh, that can maybe that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to just, you know, do that, you know? Didn't you um, used to be friends with uh, Gilbert Godfrey? Couldn't he get you back in the game? Uh, it's not It's not really about um, connections getting you on stage. It's just about showing up and being funny and yeah, moving into, you know. Um, yeah, so. Uh, yeah. But I, I might do it. I might wind up doing it. You should. So going along with that, Scott, um, can you tell us how kind of you're get, starting to get into the foray of uh, screenwriting or screenplay writing? Um, well, when I got here to when I got here to Los Angeles, um, everybody, uh, you know, I, I had these books like, you know, Red, uh, not Red Hood. Um, I had Hell Hole. I had uh, Ball and chain and uh, other stuff and it was uh, you know these were properties that I had that I wanted to turn into you know shows and movies and stuff and people were like well you know Scott you're really good at comic books but uh, TV and movie writing that is much much different and I was like well it's words <laughs> I don't know of any words that are used in a movie that can't be used in a comic book or, you know, a word in a comic book that's not allowed to be used in a TV show. So I eventually wrote a, a spec script and then people were like, oh, you can write. And then that allowed them to one company to buy a pilot. And then once I was a quote unquote TV writer, it made it easier to sell a movie and you know and then I became a screenwriter so um, now was Happy Death Day uh, original idea for your or did someone else have the idea and kind of uh, gave it to you to go with no it was my idea and it was um, uh, sorry uh, yes no it was my idea and it was um, what happened was I met with a uh, producer about something else and she said uh, she said what are you working on I said well I have this idea for a movie about a girl that keeps getting brutally murdered and each time she gets murdered she gets another clue as to who's trying to kill her and how to stop them and she's like oh my god that's an amazing idea you should you should write that and I said oh so I went home and I had finished my comic book writing for the month so I uh, turned off my phone and I uh, disabled my internet and I just wrote the script and four weeks later I had the movie and then it sold like a week after that and uh, wow. wait, wait wait so are you saying that you just wrote, wrote one draft and sold it uh, yes I did wow. write one so now there were changes after it was uh, done of course because uh, you know once somebody you know Stanley asked me once uh, about um He's like, 
He's like, you know, Scott, I don't know how you do it. Like, you just, you know, these people with their notes, and it goes on and on. Like, I don't know how you do it. Like, how do you do it? I could never do it. That's a great Stan Lee, by the way. Thanks. <laughs> I, I said, um, I said, well, you know, Stan, I said to me, the first draft is art, and every draft after that is commerce. Mm-hmm. You know? I like that. So, like, you write the you write what you want to write, and no one can take it from you. And they buy it or they don't. But once they buy it and it's owned, then they're entitled to have what they want. You know, so that's my you know my job is to ultimately after I sell it, if they ask me to rewrite it, then my job is to if I'm rewriting it, I just have to make sure it makes sense and blah 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 blah. But but there are you know there are things that happen in the movie that I would rather not have happened but you know but at the end of the day my name is on it and you know that's that so so uh what did they change um well they made you know different like uh what's his name um you know the boyfriend the geeky boyfriend yes Mm -hmm. in the original script he was two different boyfriends. He was, I'm sorry, he was two different people. He was Brett, who was this kind of sexy, darker character who had uh, slept with her, but she hadn't even remembered sleeping with him. <laughs> and then there was uh, Carter, who she went to for advice on how to deal with this time paradox. And part of the reason why she knew he might um, be geeky and stuff is because he kept spilling uh, chocolate milk on her every day. And she's like, who is this guy? And then she was like, oh, wait a minute. So she went to him. So um, what the director did was he took those two characters and essentially the same, it was his exact same storyline, but the relationship was different because he made Brett geeky throughout but like mm-hmm. the original movie, it's Brett that tackles the serial killer in the uh, chapel before, you know, and is killed as a result. But in uh, this version, uh, it is uh, some of your info is incorrect. Why don't they just let me do this? Hold on one sec. Yeah, so, so that's one of the changes. And then, you know, there are just, um, you know, there are just changes like, uh, like I've worked with um, deaf people. I, I've worked with the deaf uh, in college a lot. I learned it and I worked as a, what's it called, a uh, counselor today. I worked at camps for deaf people and blah, blah, deaf teenagers. And uh, there's that scene in the movie where the other cheer, uh, other sorority girl comes in and is like, are you going to the movie today? And she's dazed and she's like, what? And then she's, are you going to Yeah, right, right, right. It's like, I wanted to crawl under my chair because I was like, oh my God, like, why is that necessary? Like, why do we need to make fun of, uh, uh, of deaf people? But it's the type of thing when, you know, they're on the set and 
you know, hey, let's try this. Oh, would this be funny? Oh, hey, hey, how about this? But at the end of the day, your name is on it. So, you know, that's the, the plus and the minus, you know. Um, I, I, you know, yeah, so. Um, so, yeah, so there are just uh, changes that happen with uh, comic, I mean, with movies. But, but the way I look at a movie is I think of it as, like, you have a kid and you teach your kid not to swear and not to drink and not to have sex before marriage. And then they grow up to college and they drink and they smoke and they swear and they uh, do all that stuff. And, but at the end of the day, it's still your kid. And so you write a movie and this changes, that changes, but at the end of the day, it's still your kid. You know? That's a good way to look at it. Um, what was the pilot that you, uh, we're talking about earlier. Is that something that that we would have seen? No, but um, it was called Chasing Alice, and it was a modern de- blah, blah, modern day retelling of Alice in Wonderland, set in New York City as a cop show. Oh wow! Damn. So you can imagine what that looks like. Yeah, man. And uh, they shot it. It just never got on the air. And uh, maybe I have a copy around somewhere, but um, but yeah, and. Uh, so that was that was that. So. Now, do you have any involvement in the sequel to Happy Death Day? Or uh, no, the sequel was shot, and I, I just heard from the producer yesterday that apparently it's very funny and uh, very scary, and that it'll probably be huge. So, no, so that's. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead, Scott. Yeah, so that's good. I mean, I'm excited for uh, for everybody involved in that, including me, because I. You know, get money and credit for. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. absolutely. That, that was gonna be my question because yeah, because um, I study screenwriting and all that, and then I did read that if you write the initial movie, you get paid for all the sequels, which yeah. is nice. This is very yep. nice for it. Now, does, will that make you like an executive producer on it, or just no? Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> just they created by in the uh, credits, but gotcha. Um, I- and you mentioned like the comedy that's in it, and I think that was what was really refreshing to uh, Happy Death Day when I first saw it, because you know you kind of gave that blend of humor and horror kind of mixed together, as opposed to just the mainstream horror that's been out there nowadays. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think it's uh, um, you know it's funny is when I was writing it initially, I was laughing to myself because I was like, I'm really writing the most subversive horror movie ever written because you show up uh, you show up um, uh, you show up for the um, slasher flick and you leave with this sort of indie movie about a girl who gets her life together you know it's like a a female female empowerment movie that uh Um, you know? Yeah. It, it definitely all comes together in the end. Um, I was going to ask you something else about the movie. Uh, what was it? Oh, was, did you have an actual, uh, I guess, um, reason to why she kept going through the same day over and over again? Or is it something like this? You just to say, dang, this is just how it is. And this is what I'm uh, 
Yeah, no, I went back and forth with them over and over about how it wasn't necessary because, you know, the mother of all those movies was Groundhog Day. Right. And if you notice, it was never explained in Groundhog Day. That's a good point. Yep. And so I was like, no, it's not important. And so they, uh, but now my understanding is the sequel explains everything. So, oh. so we'll see. Yeah, let's hope they don't fuck it up. <laughs> um. So, so uh, n- now that you saw that screenplay, I know that I was probably calling. Um, is there any more screenwriting work um, that that we can look forward to from you? Yeah, I'm actually. You know, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it yet because it, it's not been signed, but. I can tell you that I am doing a reimagining of a classic horror movie from the 90s. Sorry. Oh, that'd be good, but no. <laughs> um, I thought you were telling me to scream. I'm like, no, no. Um, but, you know, um, but I will tell you what, I will call you when I know, and if they say that I can announce it, I'll come back on and we can talk about it. Perfect, yeah. I'm going to hold you to that. If I see that you announce it without letting us know, I'm going to cry, just so you know. Okay, but (laughs) similarly, you, uh, if the company announces it before I do, which is possible, I won't know until... They know, but I will tell you that no one will hear a word about it from me until we talk. Okay, so that's staying in. So, so it's going to be publicly <laughs> documented. Okay. <laughs> no going back. Yeah, sue you, you bastard. <laughs> but um, going back to comics, didn't you have some more questions about Red Hood, Brian? Uh, yeah, I did have one uh, real quick question. So you were talking earlier um when you uh, kind of put all your ideas that you were putting into issue 25 into 24 uh, are squeezed into 20 issue 24 and red hood shot penguin in the face. Um, at any point in time, was it a different villain that you would maybe pictured or, or that he might actually kill, uh, shoot and kill them and DC stepped in or was it always in the, your mind that, all right, it's going to be penguin. No, it was always, uh, it was always penguin. And I have to say, both Ed and I were very, very surprised because we're like, oh, okay, we're going to shoot Penguin. And they're like, uh-huh. And they're like, okay, here we go. this is it. Penguin's going to get it. And like, uh-huh. So we were like, okay, well, that was great. But, you know, um, apparently he's going to be back uh, in the next month or two in uh, one of the Bat books. And the editor sent it to me and said, oh, look, they're bringing him back. And I I didn't throw a fit, but I did say, listen, you know what? I get it. I get that you need the penguin and da-da-da-da-da. I said, but for the love of God, like, give him an eye patch or, like, a right. scar, something. And they said, a double oh. lip. Yeah, they said, okay, we'll do that. So, um, so, so that's good. But, yeah, so he'll be back. And uh, But, yeah, I was surprised that they did not uh, – they didn't push back against it at all, so because they already, because they knew he was coming back already, probably. <laughs> you no, know, apparently they they. What I found out afterwards is that they, to answer your question, oddly, is 
they had another character that they were going to use for this upcoming storyline. And then at the last minute, that character wasn't available. So they said, oh, well, let's use, uh, let's use, uh, Penguin. So they're like, okay. But then I was like, well, I don't care if you use Penguin, but please just, you know, like he just got shot in the head, at least give him a headache or an ice bag over his head or something, you know? Right. Right. Now, will we have a rematch between Batman and, uh, Jason Todd to look forward to, or is that kind of, uh, Batman just drew his line in the sand with him? You have the most astounding moment in the history of Red Hood. Wow. Coming up in, uh, 27. Between, really? yeah, between Batman and, uh, I'm sorry, between Bruce and Jason. Oh. Not, be- not between Batman and Red Hood, but between Bruce and Jason. That's awesome. And, and I'm eager, and you're welcome to call me back when that issue comes out because you're gonna be like, what the hell? Huh. And we're so. gonna hold you to that too. I guess like you're gonna be our new guest so soon. So. <laughs> I'll be your Edmund man. Right. <laughs> you are correct. Oh, 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 oh. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be very staggering. But you know, I don't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> very cool. Um, any other things you want to hype up for the book? Um, no, I mean, I think we did talk about it pretty, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'd have to say that, I mean, like there's something happening around 20 issue 29 to 31 that I'm not sure. Yeah. I even got a text during this phone call about it. Um, so I, I can't really speak to it because I don't know if it's going to happen. So, um, so if, but, if that happens, come back on and just talk about that as well. Yeah. I'll just listen <laughs> every week. Right. <laughs> um, but that's the thing about, um, you know, like I say, in an ideal world, I mean, you've been following the books for a while, right? I take it. Yep. What do you think? I mean, like, do you think it would be fun to see a, uh, to see a um, red, I'm sorry, to see an outlaw book that isn't necessarily that team, or no? I mean, not that team, but it's not necessarily Jason. Well, I like, we- I like your idea that you had earlier kind of breaking it up where you might have a, I mean, even if it's maybe a couple minis series or something like that, like maybe take, the book goes on hiatus and you say, okay, we're doing Red Hood and we're doing the Outlaws as two separate books and then kind of see how maybe bring it together where they would almost need to be each other as a, or need each other as a team. Um, because I think you hit on it perfectly earlier that, you know, Jason needs a team to be grounded. Otherwise he, he just becomes unstable. Yeah. Poor guy. And I would like to see, honestly, a Tim Drake and and Jason Todd road trip book. I know you hate doing a road trip story, but I think those two, uh, are very interesting. Um, Dichotomy. Yeah, because I don't think it really has... I mean, I know they touched on it a little bit, but, um, you know, continuously seeing Jason interacting with Tim as being his successor to Robin um, back in the right. early 90s. Yeah, well, you know what's funny is, like, there's, <laughs> there are just some things that I do that no one else does. And, like, for example, um, Killer Croc as Roy's 
um, <laughs> sponsor in yeah, AA. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and the thing is, nobody else talks about it. There's, you know, like uh, Suicide Squad, no one references it. It's, no, it's never, ever, ever brought up. And what I found out recently is that, you know, Roy is going to be appearing somewhere, and instead of talking about his alcoholism, it's all going to be about his heroin addiction. Mm. And it's like, okay, well, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I, it makes sense that he's an addict, and so he could conceivably do that. But to me, you know, uh, he didn't necessarily go through a heroin stage, although he probably could have. But the thing is, is that, like, sometimes I think when people look at these Red Hood characters, they don't really care what happened to him over the last eight years. They just are like, oh, well, you know, Jason hates Batman. He's like, no, Jason doesn't really hate Batman. He just does things differently than Batman. And, right. you know, so uh, so it doesn't surprise me at all. It just makes me laugh that, like, you know, but one of the things that I loved about uh whenever I had Tim and uh, Jason together is that my, I have a big family. I have six brothers and sisters and 23 nieces and nephews. And <laughs> my uh, uh, brother-in-law used to refer to uh, him and everybody who married into the family as outlaws instead of the in-laws. Like, <laughs> the outlaws are the people who are in the family already, and outlaws are people who are on the outside of the family. And so, to me, you know, Dick is always going to be the first uh, uh, Red Hood. I'm sorry, first uh, Robin, and Damien is going to be the uh, the one who's the son. So, really, the two outlaws of the group are, you know, uh, Jason and. Uh, yeah. And so Tim's feeling is like, you know what? Look, Jason's not, you know, Jason's kind of a jerk sometimes, but I get it. I, I get why he's that way. And so he's really the only one of the group of them that are his actual friend because they are both the replacement Robin. And so they are always going to be not Robin as long as they live, sort of. And so that's why they're close. And to me, that was really fun. But nobody else, I don't think, has ever touched on it. And if, you know, Red Hood shows up in Batman, it's like, uh, oh, I'm going to solve this. By You're like, okay, well, thanks for book. Thanks for Red Hood. <laughs> but, but that's just the nature of the beast. I don't, you know, like I can't take it. All I can do is make sure that Red Hand the Outlaws is interesting, you know. So, and like you definitely done that. So we won't take up too much more of your time, but I do have three final questions. One quick, two are as quick as you want them to be. The quick okay. one is, um, you wrote a. No, no, I'm sorry. The quick one is this: Would you ever go back to Marvel? Uh, sure. Have they been in contact with you at all? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, every time I ask them, they say no. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> that's their con that's their contact. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I mean, I, I you know, once in a while, like something happens where you know it's like, oh, hey, what about blah blah blah. But no, it never. Uh, 
it never happens. And it may happen, who knows? I think they should because I think they need the help. But what can you do? Hey, uh, who are you telling? That's definitely true because uh, Brian and I were talking about that earlier. Like, um, the Mar- the writers at Marvel aren't as strong, and the artists really, as it used to be. And the second question is, um, so I have in my hand a copy of the Scott Lobdell and er- Elliot S. Magan Jurist X novel. So yes. um, what was Bexford behind that, and how, why were some characters changed? Because I'm thinking here, uh, Chambers Scottish for some reason. Chambers what? He's Scottish instead of English. Oh, okay. Um, I grew up reading Elliot's uh, Superman novels, and they were excellent. And so at one point they said, hey, Scott, do you want to write a Generation X novel? And I said, well... I don't have the time, but I would do it if I could do it with my friend Elliot. And they're like, mm, okay. So I wrote a treatment about what would happen, and maybe it was like five pages, and then Elliot took it and wrote the novel. Mm-hmm. And uh, at one point, I was going through it, and I said, um, Chamber just answered the phone. <laughs> like, yeah. I go, Chambers powers psionic, so if he has a conversation with you, he has to have a psionic conversation to you. He, he has no mouth or jaw. <laughs> so if he were to pick up the phone, A, I don't think you would hear anything because I don't think he you know, has hearing per se, but B, he wouldn't be able to say, oh, sure, hold on a second. <laughs> so, we're like, oh, is that important? I'm like... No, I guess not. And then that was the last I read of the book. So. <laughs> so it wouldn't surprise me if he was, you know, Scottish or Bohemian or whatever, whatever they decided to make him. So he was definitely Scottish. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, there and last question for you is, um, how did she get back? Well, how did she get established with DC during? Wait, wait. Did you read the rest? Did you read the whole novel? Yeah, yeah. Was it good? Um, I'll say this. I didn't grow up reading the Elliot S. Magnan uh, Superman novels, and mm-hmm. I can tell it wasn't your voice. So I wasn't, because I bought it because I saw it on, on Amazon. I said, like, oh, Scott Lopez wrote a, a novel. But it was it was readable, and I like, I like the Tom Gromit um, chapter breaks in there, but uh, it wasn't what I was looking for. I'll say that. Uh-huh. Readable, though. If you get the chance, read Monday, Monday. Oh, my God, it's so good. That's no. my, uh, S. Magnet? Manic, Manic Monday, I'm sorry. Yeah, excellent. Okay. I'll do that, and we'll talk about that on our next episode, that, that because you're going to be our, our new guest host. Yeah, every episode we'll talk <laughs> every about. Every episode. <laughs> we'll just read um, a chapter from Manic Monday every, every week. I like that. That's a whole, that's a whole new show we could do. <laughs> and have it come out on Tuesdays, because it's ironic. Oh, right. That'd be weird. <laughs> um, all right. So final questions for you. Um, how did you um, get associated with DC for the, the new 52? Because at that point, you, you had been going from uh, the big two for probably, what, a good 10 years or so? Uh-huh. So um, how did that work uh, come about? Apparently, Bob and Jim, when uh, when Jim became co-publisher, uh, co-publisher, 
when they hired Bob Harris and they said, how do we energize the books? Uh, Jim was like, hey, why don't you call Scott? And Bob was like, we. And so they called me and uh, I was in, uh, I went out to lunch in New York and I thought I was going out to lunch with Bob and then Jim sat down and I was like, okay. And so in my head, I'm thinking, God, I hope they asked me to work for them because I'm not sorry. Let me rephrase that. When they sat down, I was thinking, how do I get them to hire me? <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, I got to wait for, like, the right opportunity to be, like, make it seem like I want to, but I don't need to. And then uh, Jim, who's really good about small talk, he and I were talking about something, and Bob was really bad at small talk, just, like, finished his plate and then pushed himself away from the table and goes, um, what would it take to get you to come work for DC? <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's fine. And so that was that. Wow, nice. Uh, now, um, how did they decide decide what books you would do? Um, they said, what would you most want to do? And in my head, I was thinking uh, Teen Titans. But I didn't want to say Teen Titans because I didn't want them to say no. Right, right. So instead I said, uh, I'd really like to do Legion Superheroes. And they said, oh, that's interesting, but what if you did Titans? So I'm like, oh, okay. So. Nice. But if I'd asked for Titans, they probably would have said no. So I let them <laughs> They probably would have said, uh, Titans, no, but how about the Legion of Superheroes? How yes. Does <laughs> how does that sound for you? <laughs> yeah. Well, I would love to do Legion, but yeah. <laughs> I think that's a fun book. But I like team books. I don't know if you can tell. Yeah, I mean, because you excel at team books. And um, I, uh, I did... I'm sorry. I said ah. Uh. <laughs> and and I do wish that your run on Heroes Return FF would have been longer too. I know that was fun too. Because it was like your writing style on a completely different aspect. But, um, all right, so I feel like you've taken up enough of your time today. Um, is there anything that you want to promote or plug that you haven't done already? Uh, nope. All right, sounds good. Um, I do have one ask of you. Oh, wait, there's one oh, other thing I want to promote. Do it. Apparently, I have a regular job on a podcast now. I don't know the name of it, but you should, uh, True stories based on fiction with Scott Lobdell and, and friends. <laughs> you get top billing. You get, you get top hey. billing. <laughs> oh. All right, so Scott, thank you so much for taking uh, this time over. Uh, on your busy Saturday. And, um,